three tins in. Hey, you normally had a few beers. Yeah, exactly. It's the only way you can do it. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to a um, relatively um, uh, nice time to to do this show. We're all sort of relatively sober for once. Um, we are kindly uh, joined by Danny Butterfield, who is a, a part of the Broadly FC gang, which essentially have a better roster than Town did last season. Now, um, Danny, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Ian, Ian is at work and may well disappear at some point if his boss comes in. I've got some <laughs> colleagues of mine sat at the side of me who I've told to act as my barrier if anybody walks in that I'm busy. <laughs> so if you, start sh- if you start sharing an Excel spreadsheet, we all know what's happening, is it? <laughs> yeah, no, no one wants to see Excel spreadsheets on carpet stock. No one's really that bothered, I don't think. <laughs> and Bruce, um, with his classic 98, which have you not changed the calendar? Is that a... Is that oh, just sure, the generic that, calendar? Uh, Sean Pierce from February. Oh, did you not find one with Danny on? Uh, it's got a, sure, I've got one somewhere. There's got to be can, one with. It's better. Look. <laughs> once we get going, once we get going, I'll see if I can find a, a, a Butterfield pin-up. <laughs> Who closed well, on, guess, preferably? <laughs> I, well, that's the number one question, <laughs> speaking yeah. of pin-up, was from John, who said, who had the best curtains? Was it you, Peter Handerside, or Daryl Clare? <laughs> got, I think Daryl Clare. I think he's were like, saying that, he used to cake it in anything, Vaseline, anything he can get his hands on to try and keep it in place for a game. But in fairness, Pete's, Pete sort of held on to it for a long time. That was sort of his, his uh, cut. But as you can see, mate, I'm still trying to find one that suits me. So... It's uh yeah, I've been through many a haircut in my career, fortunately or unfortunately, the way you want to look at it. My wife probably you, says unfortunately. The kids probably go, That's not you, is it? <laughs> are you hoping it comes back? nineties well, I saw someone with an Elise jumper on last week, so surely the nineties is coming back now. <laughs> surely it's a cycle, isn't it? Surely it's a cycle. I'll get my all day remember, again one day. All I remember from Daryl Clare was when we scored at when that winner and he was chasing after Wayne Burnett is his hair didn't move. As he was running. Yeah. So you, you're right. He must have been absolutely caked in something. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't move, mate. And I don't know. Actually, I live with Daryl. So I don't know. How did that don't go? I actually know how he. Yeah. We, we lived with. Actually, we lived with his stepmom at the time. There was me and her and uh, two kids. And yeah, it was. It was carnage, mate. Two 20, young 20 year old lads living, playing for the town. And yeah. And was, was that in Grimsby, was it? Yeah, that was in Grimsby. It was right. It was you could actually walk there from the town centre. It was just I can't remember the name of the street. It was literally a two minute walk into town. Really big old Victorian house was um but yeah. That was me, me and Daryl were almost inseparable through a town days with. So, well now I'm trying to think what would have been the, the, the place of call. Would it have been the barge or gullies or what Baker was in street. town at the time? Hollywood Street. Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> town was sort of, yeah, we still all, everyone's still headed towards Cleeforts, mate, I don't think. By the time I left, I think the new parade of bars had only just been built or were being built. So it was still always, yeah, still always into Meggie's. It was you... a good thing though back in the day that you you know you used to love seeing the town lads out you know on a Saturday night and the, 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 there were a lot lived locally then and you'd get we've talked about this before and you'd get you know there'd be half a dozen of you out on a Saturday night you know that it was it was good uh, as a fan it was nice to I remember being introduced to um, George Santos one night in um, 
in O'Neill's and he was just this huge bloke in the corner. He's like, this is George. And I just sort of limply offered a hand and just sort of like, oh, yeah, all right, all right, I'll leave you to it. He was absolutely massive. I don't know, yeah. I don't know whether he was, yeah, you left when George was there or you... Yeah, no, I'd left. He came in just after me. Um, but that that was like... I really enjoyed them days because you were connected to the fans. You were, you could go out and probably drink too much and probably act a bit of a clown and you weren't judged as in, you weren't, there weren't people snapping away photos of you, posting it on social media and all that. So it was a safer environment to go and let your hair down. I think the, and again, because Grimsby and where it is situated, we only had two or three real, Jack Lester used to travel in from Sheffield, Kev Donovan, I think he actually moved down in the end. Um, but a lot of the lads of the team actually lived in and around Grimsby, even if it was as far as Louth or, or um, Humberston. It, it was sort of that felt like it was out of town if you lived in Humberston. But it was everyone sort of moved to the area and it sort of built that team camaraderie for sure. Do you think that's, do you think that's the, way, the way it's gone with all clubs or... Or do you think that's a sign of where town have fallen, you know, the level we fell from championship to non-league, that we have to accept that people come from away? Do you think if we were higher up the league and maybe paying higher wages, we'd we'd be people would be living round here more? Or do you think we do you think it's just something in the modern game that people are quite happy to travel an hour and a half and not uproot the family for a short contract and you know, how does that work, do you think? I think I think it's a culmination of things. Some of it is a lot of people like to live close to the city, where so there's so much more to do. Whether it's I don't know, shopping facilities, restaurants, bars, all that sort of stuff. But some of it again is because football is so quick moving. As in, very few now players go and sign for a club and they're there for five, six, seven years. People will often either travel it or car share or actually move, um, basically just rent a flat. You know, so so your family and kids stay in your schools and uprooting your family for a year, 18-month contract, is it worth it? Rather than sort of being centrally based in Nottingham, if you like, you can probably get everywhere in the country so you don't have to keep uprooting your family. Yeah, uh... And given that you were sort of based in Boston as well and sort of that's where you grew up, I guess it was, you at least still had a quite a connection, but I guess it's a bit of a trek, isn't it? Back, back and forth from town to Boston. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I left school at 16 and moved straight into the digs, which was on um, on the hill, on, as you come up the roundabout, up into Cleethorpe. I um, can't remember Isaac's the name hill. of the hill. Isaac's, Isaac's hill. hill. So I lived in the B&B there. It was me, there was probably about seven or eight of us lads. And we used to just literally catch the bus from the top, from the top of the Ave all the way into the stadium every day and catch the bus back. So I literally... The minute I signed for town at 16, I literally lived in Grimsby. I used to go back and visit the family on a weekend after a game or whatever. But um, most of my time was spent in Grimsby. So the roads aren't great back to Boston, but it's still only an hour and 15. So looking back now, listen, I live in Boston and my family think a drive across town for 15, 20 minutes is like a day trip. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm used to driving from Southampton to Boston to see the family. It's like four hours and doing that and... So uh, yeah, what's a 15, 20 minute trip across Grimsby feels to the locals like, oh my God, the traffic was murder today. It took me 22 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we do have some, we do get, we are spoiled in some ways. My, my yeah. sister's, um, my sister's, sorry, my sister, my wife's sister used to live in Norfolk and 
everywhere's a long way when you live in Norfolk. And yeah. they would just sort of, they would, you know, she'd pop to the shops and it was like a, an hour. And I'd be like, you did what? It was, yeah. it was just, and they, they, would, they, would, they would think nothing of going to visit somebody that was an hour and a half away or something. And it's like yeah. going from Norwich to Kings Lynn or something. It was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. it just, yeah. We, we, we are lucky that we don't have that commute around here and those the, the traffic problems that you have in a big city also, or like you say, the long distances. Yeah, definitely, mate. Was it was it Alan that signed you in then, or was it um I guess at the time who'd it been? Kenny Swain? When uh, I think it was Brian Laws, wasn't uh, I think it was Brian Laws was the manager. Might have been. No, well it'd have been ninety six, you tell me. Oh yeah, it'd have been <laughs> it would have, it'd have been I'm Brian. Sure then, Brian yeah. Laws was, and then at the start of that season he was here, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I signed my YT when he was the manager. But again, I and then Alan Buckley came in, so pretty Alan came in quite early, I think, that season. Who else so, was in your um, your your youth sort of set up? That, that were there were there some good players that that didn't make it that you thought might, or was there uh, you know who, who who what what other names came through at the same time as you, Danny? I, I didn't realise until I sorry, until I read on Wikipedia how early I didn't realise you were around in you you were in the squad in ninety six ninety seven, weren't you? But you made your debut the next season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I made my debut at 17. So I I was with Steve Crowdson. Steve Crowdson was my year. Andy Love was the year above. John Oster was the year above. Um, Matt Oswin, top midfield player, but he had a bad car accident out at Laceby when he was first year pro. He was a very, very good player. I'd have been very surprised if he didn't make it and have a career if he didn't have this bad car accident. Um... Matt Bloomer was a year above. Um, ben Chapman was a year above. Uh, Quite a few players, then, isn't it? Was was it regarded as a pretty decent place to go to sort of start your career at the time? Yeah, well, I was a bit of a, I was a bit of a gypsy mate during my youth career. I I had, <laughs> I mean, I was at Peterborough at night at ten, under tens, elevens, and I went to Forest twelves, thirteens, and I went Grimsby fourteens, and I went Leicester fifteen, sixteens, and I. Got released from Leicester at 16. And then John Cockerell, who was my under-14 manager, offered me a trial at under-16s to see whether I could be offered a YT. And then, yeah, and then Cockerell's offered me a YT after that one game. And then I ended up signing and, yeah, the rest is history, if you like. <laughs> We've been very lucky with um, with the with the youth sort of managers. Um, you know, with Cockers, you speak to anybody and Cockers is so highly regarded. Um, you know, everyone just, you know, and he, he obviously he's done nearly everything for the club, you know, played, managed, assist, you know, caretaker manager and youth role and community and everything. And then, you know, Woodsy's got a good reputation now and the amount of players that he's brought through over the last decade or so, um, you know, they've, they've, we've had two sort of in the, in the role that have been there a long time, probably, probably for over the last 20 years. There's, there's not many other names I can think of. No, I mean, I think Graham Roger helped out a little bit. It was another top top player. Uh, Cockers was massive for me, massive mentor, massive. He, he slept and breathed Grimsby Town and it was sort of put into you. If you want to play for this club, you've got to do X, Y and Z. And he, I think he actually left on bad terms, actually, eventually, which is really disappointing for like what you said, the amount of work and effort and time he committed to Grimsby Town. He's still got a hell of a lot to offer now, whether even if that's in a coaching, scout, in recruitment capacity. I think he's someone that should 
be working for the club because of his knowledge expertise. Um, but he was massive for me. And he was hard. He put massive demands on you. And he knew that, I mean, now nowadays you have sort of these under 23s and you can still be in the academy system, if you like, to your 2021 and still not end up having a career. Whereas at Grimsby, you there was no there was like an old school reserves, but from the sort of the age of eighteen when you was you had to sign your pro contract, you had to be making an impact in the reserves or the first team. Else there was no finances to keep you there. So you cockers sort of turned you from boys into men early, even if it was mentality, even if it was like these are things you need to do to win. These are the need things you need to do to beat your opponent. These are the things that you need to do to actually earn yourself a contract. And he was quite ruthless and brutal with it. And that's why some fell to the wayside and some, you know, earned the contract. So um, I think there'll be mixed views. Some some lads that I speak to now as in my youth team that don't play anymore, they were like, oh, I, I didn't like cockers, as in they didn't like feeling uncomfortable about putting in the hard work. That's sort of how I portray it. Whereas, listen career sort of speaks for itself but I was all in I was wholeheartedly committed I, I I wanted it and whatever he said if he said jump I'd say how high so it was literally that was he was massive for me in terms of you coming through Danny obviously <clears throat> you spent most of your career at fullback but John McDermott being in place at Grimsby and there for another what 15 20 years if not 30 after you've left us unfortunately still um, playing isn't what, he? yeah probably <laughs> um, what what came first for you, the move into central midfield? Was that in the youth team or was that purely just because sort of John was in your way at first team level? Believe it or not, when I came on trial at Grimsby uh, as a 16-year-old, I actually played as a centre-forward. So Cockers basically signed me as a centre-forward. So um, that quickly changed in the youth team to, I think he wanted me to play deeper, so play centre midfield and be involved in the game more. And then we played, um, we played like a, I can't even, I'm pretty sure it was Birmingham. I don't know if it was Walsall or it might have been Birmingham. And he sort of said, listen, we're short. So I want you to play it right back. I was like, oh, fine. So I played, listen, you was never going to argue with him. So <laughs> it was like, okay. So I played it right back. And I think he saw something that day that was sort of, I think within sort of a week or so, I was playing right back then for the reserves. So, and I think they'd move jobbers then in the reserves over to the left back. So it was literally sort of nudged into that reserves quite quickly at 16 to sort of earn your stripes at right back. And then sort of through my Grimsby career, through different managers, it was always the capability of playing right back, right midfield, centre midfield, sometimes left back. We were sort of... um, sort of trusted to do it really yes yeah, it's, it's sorry we all are muted at the same time i love that that's really clever uh go gents you go ahead i talk far too much on this thing go bruce go i was just gonna i was just gonna say do you, do you think in any way that, that 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 versatility that you were seen to have when you were at town that you didn't really hold down one particular position do you think that hindered you at all or or was it a, was it an asset? Um, for me, developing as a player, it was an asset. But for me, 
to be connected to the fans and respected to play in a position was probably not so. So me to go on and play and learn and be a better player was probably good for me to play in all numerous positions. But again, like I say, at the time, it doesn't mean... It means when you play out of position sometimes, you're only capable of performing and getting a 7 out of 10 rating, if you like, even for yourself. So fans look at it and go, oh my God, he was average. Oh my God, he was bang average again. But the manager appreciates what you do. You know what I mean? Whereas for me to play in your preferred position, you might be getting eights and nines out of 10. So all of a sudden the fans think, actually, he's a good player. He, he should play there every week, blah, blah, blah. Whereas for me and my development as a player, I suppose, learning how to play in midfield appreciates how you pass the ball into midfield from a right back or learning to play right wing, how your right back feeds you the ball is key and important. So you sort of get those appreciation things as a player as to sort of go, it's not easy playing in the middle of the park or it's not easy playing left back when you're right footed or all those sorts of things makes you a better player. But again, like you say, I'm sure a lot of the fans would be like, he sort of did a little bit of everything and didn't conquer anything. Do you know what I mean? I'm just and trying to work out when, when did we, when did it move from three subs to, to five? Cause it was basically the season. I, it's probably about 96. Cause I'm, I'm thinking in that way. It's like, Oh, no, ninety six almost... three. Sorry, Wembley, the ninety eight final. There was yeah. three subs because I missed out. Oh yeah, so I it, would have been... it might have been might been night might be ninety nine ninety nine ninety eight ninety nine season. Maybe was five subs because the utility player back then was really well. It was it was essential, wasn't it? And it, yeah. they, they people used to draw comparisons to how Carlton Palmer sort of he he his defensive position changed because of the passback rule disappearing he went from one of the best players in the world to potentially not and at town when when we speak Danny Butterfield I'm always of the opinion probably the most underrated player we've ever had at the club especially in my time being a being a fan did you did you did you think that or is that did you not really pay any attention uh I I think there's a big thing that always crops into it and when you come through a club, when you come through an academy and you step into the first team, it's not as glamorous as a fan reading the back pages of the paper and seeing a new signing come through the door. Because automatically there's the expectation or there's the excitement of a new signing. So when you've come through the ranks at an academy and come into the first team, your first season, maybe, the magnifying glasses is on you as, God, this is exciting. It's one of our own. It's one of ours, blah, blah, blah. Well, that quickly dilutes. And over time, you often find that lads that come through your academy, it's like, oh my God, he feels like he's been around for ages now. What, he's only 20? Or he's only 21? You think, bloody hell. So it still happens now with lads that make it through to the first teams at the top level. And you think, oh my God, is he only 20 still? Or is he only 21? Or I don't know, seems like 10, 15 years have passed and you go, bloody hell, he's only 27. So I think at town, I... Um, I didn't feel underrated by my teammates and the manager, but maybe so were the fans. And it was more towards the end. It was more towards the end of my time. So when I was sort of 21, 22, it was probably my time at town, sort of when I was 21, 22, I could feel that the team was coming less and less strong. So the quality of player, the quality of squad, 
wasn't as strong. And a lot of the senior boys that have been there for a long time, your Livos, your, your Lee Jack Lester's had gone, Lee Ashcroft had gone, Lee Nogan had gone, Kingsley Black had gone, David Smith probably on his way out, Mark Lever had gone, Pete Andeside had gone. And so you end up with a new group of players, but the nucleus of men, if you like, one by one had all started leaving. So I was probably looked at as one of the more senior players, but I was still only 21. So I think I think that was sort of whether that answers the question or not. I think it does. I didn't feel underrated by my teammates and the manager, but I think the fans <laughs> fans almost got bored of me. <laughs> right, <laughs> move on. Stop doing your job. Yeah. Stop being competent. Stop being, yeah, stop being all right. We want world-class or crap because we can moan at your evil way. <laughs> well, we certainly got crap afterwards. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Jess, did you think the same? Or is that entirely just my household? Because my dad bangs on about it all the time. No, I mean, we, we, we used to have a, a guy a guy behind behind me that sort of, that I won't say had it in for Danny, but, but wasn't, you know, he used to sort of, and I think, like you said, I think it's, I think you hit the nail on the head when you say about the playing in different positions, and you would never be a eight or nine out of ten. You know, like you say, it was a regular seven, um, and 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 also, I guess, and I guess as well, it's a little bit. Stacey Caldicott was probably underrated because of the work that he, the role that he played. Absolutely. He's not, he's not banging, he's not banging in the goals, um, mm. and and I mean, Stacey was one of the ones that came in, you know, around sort of two thousand and. He was here always a bit like you say in, str- in struggling teams that were, um, and, and I think we missed him massively when when he left. Um, I think he was right through here till we got the season where we got relegated, certainly out, certainly into League One. Whether it, I think he might have been here in, in in League Two at the start. Yeah, so he he you know, but he was he was a player that wasn't glamorous, yeah. yard dog. I think they used to call him. Um, yeah. You know, just snapping at heels and 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 nicking the ball and and giving it to the ones that would produce the killer pass, um, yeah. and and I think he was underrated. So I think you're right, Alex. I think I think it you know it probably was, and and it was it was only and, you, and when you look at your career after you left town and the direction that the club went in, um, you know, it sort of the, 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 we were definitely weakening and we weakened season upon season and ended up floundering in league two you know very shortly after you've gone um so it was and it's only when you when you list all those names the people that had that had been here for a long time and whether that was their age and they were a lot of them were getting older anyway and it was just the end of that cycle or whether we got rid of some players um you know too soon you know the likes of sort of pouton was almost forced out the door um, you know, there, there were, there Mark were Lever was Jack Lester, point. Mark Lever. Yeah. You know, there were people. Bruce, that made me cry in the middle of the day. Tony Gallimore. No, but that, but that period <laughs> when you look now, and then we got Lenny Lawrence came in, didn't he? And and yeah. he had these grand ideas of want, wanting to change it, and you know, maybe um, maybe change too much too quickly, rather than phasing the the, the old guard out gradually. Mm. Um, maybe it didn't help, but we certainly struggled in those those times that you guys were, you know, you guys were here. But you obviously started, you, you played a bit in that 98-99, which was the best season we'd had since the mid-80s. You know, we mm. finished sort of 10th, I think, or 11th in the championship as it is now. And then after yeah. that, it was a struggle, wasn't it? Yeah. To complete. I think, I think that the, 
So, I mean, times have changed now. When you look at like Wolves, Birmingham, um, Man City with the big boys in that, that, the championship, what was now then. So, you look at Birmingham now, struggling in the championship, really. And they're not like the, one of the big boys that you're playing Birmingham at home or away. It was like, wow, this is this is one of the big games. So, um, and Town were pretty much, listen, Town have always been the underdog always in the championship because you're expected to go down your relegation favourites year in year out and I don't think until I left and I think it was probably a little bit of the dressing room as well I don't think until you left you appreciated how good a team you had forget the size of the stadium forget the fan base forget the home support on a Tuesday night when there's three and a half thousand there it's that sort of the you've you've until you step away from it and I end up playing with different players, you don't appreciate that, actually, we had a good, good team. We had a really strong team. We had a team of what I call nowadays men. You're in the dressing room with men. You weren't carrying, probably I was probably one of them, but you weren't carrying kids. You weren't carrying um, too many. Like you'd, you'd stand in the tunnel before a game the tight little tunnel and you're coming out and you're looking across at them and looking across your teammates and thinking we're going to war today look at look at the men I'm stood in this tunnel with you felt part of that as opposed to being um underdogs we flipping you thinking oh my god I'm only keeping this down to today so I think that was always a massive plus that we had that was perhaps underrated at the time it's it's a really interesting I mean you certainly had a lot of t- a lot of incredible games. Last person to score against Hull for Town. Uh, granted, really? we've only played them once since. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what uh, that game? That was obviously in the auto windscreen shield, and I didn't make the team on the day. I was, I was only, like I said, there's only three subs, and I didn't make the bench that day, and um, I was devastated. And I, I think Cockersnell was. Cockersnell was as well. He pulled me before the game and says, listen, you'll get to play in these big stadiums. Don't worry about it. But just enjoy the day today. So uh, that always sticks with me. But I didn't even get a trophy for that. I scored in that early round. And yeah, no. so I didn't end up getting anything for it. So, But the physio did. The physio did. And the physio son did. Because I always remember, this, I remember who the player was. But someone went up to the, up the steps as well and um, didn't even get a trophy. And he played in the game. <laughs> Can't remember who it was. It's priceless. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. Did you did you play in the final as well, the playoff final? Right? No, I wasn't even on the bench for that either, because it was three subs. No, I didn't make the bench then either. So I got to wear the, the nice suit that we all got fitted. I think the final when I the Wayne Burnett scored in the was that the playoffs or the what was uh, Wayne Burnett's windscreen? Winston, yeah, I was running down the pitch in my suit after him that day. Um, but that was my contribution, unfortunately, running and sweating in a suit as opposed to uh, kicking the ball. But no, it was, um, it was great. That, that, them, them two days, them two Wembley appearances were unbelievable. You didn't even get to uh, get the uh, nice pay packet that Tommy Woodrington did then at, uh, for the playoffs or get the limo that he had, apparently. <laughs> no, I did not listen. <laughs> Tommy, Tommy thought he was a superstar in coming into a dressing room like Grimsby and I think really realised that actually the own dressing room's got AstroTurf as carpet. I think it was a wake-up call too. This, this isn't no Southampton now, Tommy. This is Grimsby, mate. 
he, he was good value after the Broadley game, Alex, wasn't he? He, 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 he was, was a couple hilarious. of pints in. He, he, he wants a stand up. He needs a stand up show. Tommy does. He was, yeah, uh, he's, he's top man, Tom. He can talk, mate. He can talk. That's for sure. But no, he's he, uh, he's one of the few lads actually still staying in contact with his top lad. It's probably because we're both ex Saints as well, and we're sort of playing some of the ex Saints games still. It just probably it probably just came a, a season. Just looking at your appearances, it probably just came the the Wembley was just a season or two too soon for you, wasn't it? You that that season you'd played I think seven games or eight games, ninety seven, ninety eight, yeah. um, and then and then the following season, the one I talked about a minute ago, um, it was a few more again, and then it was really sort of ninety nine, two thousand. That I think you were sort of twenty twenty. You, that's when you sort of were really yeah. a bit more regular. And then I think your last season was the most prolific, sort of played in nearly every game. Yeah, I think it was, it was that little shit, Macca. Can't flipping get him out. Um, <laughs> waiting for him to get injured. It was like flipping the Iron Man, mate. Like, you can volley him in training. He'll still get up and carry on. So I think his surname's McDermott754 now, isn't it? It's not even, <laughs> it's not even just McDermott. Yeah, so he was, um, mate, he was unbelievable, mate, how he remained fit and just kept bashing the games out. So I was always having to wait, and I suppose for an injury, a suspension, or a dip in form from someone else, in different different areas. We had such a spine. We had such a spine at the, around that time, and you know, and, and a few years before and after. I think I think Grosey. I mean, he was another one. He 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 played. Mm. I think he played for like five years without missing a game, and in, in that Wembley season, he played every. All I think he played sixty eight games, didn't he? Yeah. It was just it was just unbelievable in centre midfield. Just yeah, just never an unbelievable. In fairness, Grosey was probably the first. Listen, when I first when I first came through at Grimsby, there was an unbelievable drinking culture in the dressing room because that was football, and it was like Wednesday night, Saturday night without fail. And if you could squeeze a Sunday in as well without Bucko smelling alcohol on your breath on the Monday morning, you'd do that as well. But I mean, Grosey was the first person. This is going to sound ridiculous. Grosey was the first person that used to drink water in training. Really. <laughs> That's it. He'd have his own water bottle and everyone was like, what is that he's carrying? What is he doing? He's drinking water. You don't do that, do you? Where's that come from? So Groves was the first one to start his own, actually be hydrated for training. We was never told that you had to do that. And then we sort of, one or two other bits he used to do, like foam rolling and stuff like that. It was sort of, he had the mickey taken out of him a little bit behind his back. But looking at it now, he was sort of professional. He was sort of moving with the times before the times had moved, if you know what I mean. He was sort of ahead of the game as looking after himself and being professional. And that's probably why he was able to box off them games repetitively and, and put in the performances he always used to do. And then you had other leaders in the dressing room, men that were that probably didn't realise the impact that they had on the dressing room that were also winners. What did... I mean, we've got to talk about Anfield and that night. I mean, if it wasn't for you, the unsung hero of the whole thing, we'd have we'd have probably lost that game, clearing that ball off the line in the first half. It must have been a that pretty night. special night. Yeah, that's two or three <laughs> cleared off the line that night. I think Danny Coyne kept turning around and with his head down, thinking, "Oh, that's another goal." Shit, you know, he's kept it out. So, yeah, there was a few goal line clearances. That was that just typified the spirit in the group at the time. Listen, you had to go, if you're going to go Anfield and win, you had to ride your luck massively. And we did, but Jevo scoring that goal was ridiculous. It was like, I actually even remember shouting to him, don't shoot. It was like, there's a minute or so to go. What are you doing? You never scored. Oh, shit, hell, that's gone in. (laughs) 
So it was, um, yeah, that was, listen, we rode a look, we hung in there, we probably upset upset the Anfield crowd with scoring and they must have been thinking, oh, okay. And then, um, yeah, and then for Gerrard to hit that thunderbolt from there against Chris Kirkland, who was flipping massive as well. It was like outrageous. He said he's the best goal he ever conceded, yeah. didn't he? Did he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was his debut. It might even have been, he, he hadn't played many games, but yeah, it was just, that was, as a, as a town fan, to win in the last minute of extra time with a goal like that at Anfield, well, and, and yeah. the same for players, it just doesn't yeah. get any better than that. It was it was up there with Wayne Burnett's golden goal at Wembley, you know, just yeah. to, to win the game with the last kick, but the, the opposition, and, and I think Lenny Lawrence said afterwards, you know, they didn't put out Mickey Mouse teams in them days. You know, it was yeah. that they had a few missing, but they played the strongest team that they could at the time. Yeah, full of internationals they were. I think we we still we still had a really young team. I remember we had Dave Harrell on loan from Newcastle with Ben Chapman played in it. Me, Pouts, Stu Campbell, Jevo. We couldn't have been any more than 20, 21, 22. I think Johnny Rowan started as well, I think. Did he? Yeah, or came off the bat. Mike, I, I think he started. I think he started and came off. Marlon Brooms couldn't have been any older than 22, 23 at the time. Groves, who must have been about 47 then. <laughs> and it was like, he was the only one keeping the average age, <laughs> average age looking normal. Um, I just I just remember Alan Powton doing a overhead clearance, bicycle kick, <laughs> clear the ball away. <laughs> Mate, he used to do that all the time, wherever he was on the pitch. It was either a shot or a tackle or volleying someone in the throat just to try and keep the game li- lively. Imagine how surprising it is, Alex, that you can remember something that Alan Powton did in that match. <laughs> <laughs> is this where we have the hero music yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly fanboy um it just got made me, made me think of another question danny does does um you you've your time you played with probably the two goalkeepers who would be um like sort of thought of in the last 30 years as probably the best two in um aiden davison and uh, danny coin um what were your thoughts and sort of opinion on the, the two of them i mean i I think I would probably have Danny as my top keeper while I've watched town. Um, but the, they're the two that sort of get named when you ask for like the last sort of, um, you know, 20 or 30 years. I think the completely different characters. Danny Coyne was quite a reserved character in the dressing room, but led by his performances. Aidan was the opposite, a proper character in the dressing room, a proper unbelievably funny on a night out, unbelievable. Um, it was a, it was a winner in his mentality as in like he'd kill you to keep a clean sheet. <laughs> he would like, yeah. Whereas Danny Coyne, actually, when we first signed Danny Coyne, he'd probably kill me for saying it. He was actually a little bit heavy, you know, he was actually a bit, and what he did at Grimsby, he actually joined, um, he joined one of the boxing clubs, and um, actually used to go training two or three times a week off his own accord. And he used to openly say that that improves his hand speed, his flexibility and his speed of movements with his, around his goal and stuff. And so Danny, when we signed him, was an OK keeper. But once he started this boxing training, he went to a new level with shot stopping. Um, I think between the two of them, again, they were both different. Danny was a shorter keeper, more shot stopper. Aidan was more big and commanding, would have come for crosses. So... There were different types and different characters and, and added different things to the team. But 
Um, listen, Aidan kept that unbelievable record of clean sheets in that season, and Danny's sort of is consistent. The both of them was just very consistent. Very few mistakes from either of them, and um, playing in front of Aidan, mate. If if he didn't stop across, whether it was worth going into the dressing room at half time or what, I don't know. Because he'd rip your throat out. But you'd be out out at fullback. How would I wear with you? Oh my god. I remember we played at Sheffield United once and um I think Macca scored an own goal. We left foot in the top corner. It was all kicking off in the dressing room after and Alan Buckley was having a go at Aiden for something. So Aiden picked up the actual Gatorade tub. Now the Gatorade tubs are massive and full of Gatorade. They're ridiculously heavy. And Aiden picked it up like it was a tin of beans and just threw it at, at Alan Buckley. It was like, oh my God. I was looking at him thinking how the fuck have you just picked that up, let alone thrown it? And it was like, wow. But he was, um, yeah, two two top keepers, two top keepers in fairness, and um, both different personalities, but both really effective for town. You must have been managed by some pretty prestigious guys. You got, I guess, what um, was was was. Uh, I'm trying to think who was he was even managing Palace at the time. Part uh, there was Dowie, wasn't there? And then there was Tricky Trevor signed me, yeah, Trevor yeah. Francis signed me. And we had Steve Kenbury and Dowie, Peter Taylor. Um, yeah, did you have Colin for a little bit? Yeah, Neil Warnock yeah, was yeah. unbelievable, yeah. Yeah, Neil for a while. That's a question. Neil Warnock and Alan Buckley, who would you be more terrified about going in 1 0 at half time? Um, <laughs> probably Warnock. <laughs> um, Alan would get angry and throw things, Neil would get angry. So, yeah, if you fancied something thrown at your head, then Buck, I would probably verbally abuse you and probably physically throw something at you whereas Neil Warnock was more of a effing and jeffing so but both very yeah both very similar that's a charity fight I'd like to see yeah in fairness Bucco probably had a little bit more tactical now than Neil Warnock in fairness but Neil Warnock was unbelievable man manager which made you run for a brick wall for him so he was very good at very good at making you feel a million dollars to play for him. I Do you imagine. remember your um, your debut for Town? Just change the change tack. I'm just thinking about Alan, and he gave you your debut, didn't he? Um, was it was it was it? I've just looked, and the earliest I can find you playing was York at home in '97. Is that is that yeah, right? That was it, mate. I think I played against Pouts as well. Believe it or not, he would have been there, wouldn't he? Definitely. Yeah. I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure, because we still laugh about it now, he basically had dyed his hair with like a leopard print. <laughs> so bleach blonde and then he had these black dots <laughs> put in it. It's priceless. Um, but I need to find that photo. <laughs> yeah, you got to find it. The I remember, I remember Alan Buckley telling me on the Monday that I'll be playing on the Tuesday to so speak to your parents to get them to come and watch you. And I remember driving back from Cheapside. We'd done training on the Monday and I was in the car with Livo and Livo said to me something along the lines of, are you shitting yourself? I was like, why? He went, Mac, I won't be fit tomorrow, you know. I was like, this was before Bucko had told me. And he said, Mac, I won't be fit tomorrow, you know. You'll be starting tomorrow, it'll be your debut. 
He went, are you shooting yourself? I was like, I won't, but I probably am now. <laughs> but that's all I remember. I know it was a bit of a boring nil-nil. I know it was a bit of a cold night. And I know it was a bit... Yeah, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, you would have given um, Davo one of his clean sheets, but he didn't actually play. Jason Pearcey played. Um, oh, did he? So, yeah, we'd, we'd lost 2-0 the game before at um, at Preston and Macca got subbed. So, he obviously came off, like you say, injured. Um, yeah. And then, uh, hey, but the next game, though, you kept him out. He was on the bench. And then... Um, and Where then was that? Fulham? That, and then after that, it was normal service resumed. It was, yeah, Fulham, Livo. Fulham away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Mac was, was on the bench and Butterfield was number two. That was what that was my first ever away trip and um, probably room with arguably the best person you could room with on an away trip, Tony Gallimore. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> we've, so, had, we've had the galley stories, haven't we? We've had like plenty of them. Does oh, that explain mate. why you were taken back out the team in the game after? Because you'd room with <laughs> I was probably pissed, yeah. Um, Gal, no, it, was, it was top draw. I always remember, um even from a debut, like Cocker said to me, right, you need to you need to go into town and get yourself. He says, you got any black trousers? I was like, yeah. He said, you need to get yourself a shirt and tie because for the game you got to report you got to report in a suit. I was like, oh okay. I was thinking, well, I ain't got a suit. So he said, just get yourself to Burton's or something. So I went to Burton's and I bought myself a purple shirt with a purple floral tie. You know the old shirt tie combos. Oh my god. Looking back now, I was thinking, what the fuck must have been going through my head? But anyway, I bought this shirt and tie combo. And then um, I turned up. So that I black trousers, this purple shirt and tie combo. And Cocker said, I'll sort you out a blazer. So I was thinking, okay. And then as I'm getting towards the ground, I'm thinking, he don't know what colour shirt I've got. So I hope it's just a black blazer. He gave me a dark green blazer. So That is his. beautiful. So it was like the, of Batman. the sleeves were like, I was like that, right? I thought, I even think now, I fucking went to my home debut dressed like a bruise. It was like, horrendous. <laughs> so, Out of, it's a shame we never had sort of some off the camera footage of yeah. people arriving at grounds. Could you yeah, imagine that on sure. Sky? <laughs> I borrowed that then for, my, for the game away at Fulham. So we had to take your suits in a suit carrier and then wear your tracksuit, and then for the match day, put your suit on to go to the game. I'm pretty sure I used just to get it in the neck from saying, who's is that blazer? Who's it? But Cockers was obviously the assistant manager at the time, so if the lads got wind, if I said, oh, it's Cockers' blazer, they'd have all just gone, what? <laughs> and didn't say anything to me, so rip, rip their heads off. But yeah, that was uh, another was one of my bad purchases back in the day. Was it Macca that was telling us about his um, the way the, the, the rooming with Galley? It was, wasn't it? Where they that, that that season, where they were, He's... where they sort of they start they used to take a, a, a little bottle of wine with them or something, and they they, they, ended, they they ended up getting pissed every every away game. Yeah, he used to. Well, Galley used to get on the bus, just absolutely thick. He'd get on the bus. We'd have them bags with the old foot compartment in it. Gal would have a couple of bottles of red in there. So he'd walk on the bus and they'd be going, ching, 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 as he walked down the bus. It was like, Gal, at least put like a towel or some socks in between it or something so you can't hear it chinking together. Everyone would be like, here's Gal getting on the bus. It was like, chink, 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 chink. Be like, oh my God. Well, there, yeah, him and Macca used to um, yeah, get the older, I think he used to have a cheese board and a little glass of wine. That's what <laughs> Gal introduced me to. It was like 17 and he was like, 
do you want a glass of wine? I was like, nah, I think I'm all right, thanks. <laughs> that was my first away trip, girl polishing off a bottle of red. But in fairness to him, mate, he's flipping. I think his body was that used to it, mate. He could perform the next day, that's for sure. I don't think there's anybody else like Gally in, or the last of the, in the sort of that level of football, yeah. at least. We've had, a, we've had a few down here, at least, but they're not half as decent. Bruce, what were you going to ask? <laughs> no, I was just going to. I was just going to say, like, like, like Danny said that you know, Galley was another one. He was just a solid left back, um, you know, at, at championship level, and mm. and you know, he, he he very rarely let the side down. So you, you certainly, as a as a fan, you wouldn't you wouldn't notice it. Um, no, you know, so. I think everyone knew because everyone would probably see him out every night of the week. But he's technically his left foot was was ridiculous. His technique to be able to drill balls into the front two like Boko wanted was ridiculous. He would almost, to the power of almost shooting and kicking the ball as hard as you can, but being able to lace it along the floor into people's feet was really good. And he, um, like I say, you never know, maybe he's drinking, held him back to play even higher, but he was certainly performing at a good level for town. I've got a, let me have a look, see if this works, Alex. What are you trying to do? Are you trying to do something technical? I'm going to put a video. Just put a video of this of a guy's left foot. Oh, hang on. What? <laughs> do you have to, to allow it? Uh, yeah, hang on. I'll put it up. Uh, I'll see if I can turn it down. See, this, see this works. There you go. Hang on. What that thing? Oh, that's, that's juddery as anything, isn't it? Oh, that free kick. What was? Who was that against then? Bristol, Bristol Rovers. Bristol oh, Rovers right. away. He had a good sweet foot on him. Mm. Top top bins. Um, apart from Jamie O'Neill says the only abiding memory he has of Galley is missing the pennant about Barnsley. That's rude, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> um, Danny, just to change tact a little bit. Obviously, you probably you might not know this. You probably won't know this because I can't see why you would. But your name's almost gone down a little bit in town folklore about the, for want of a better phrase, mismanagement of the club for quite some time yeah. under previous owners, um, yeah. partly because of the way you left. What what really kind of happened from, from your side of things on that? Well, my contract was running out. I was obviously 22, and so I wasn't entitled to leave on a free. Um, but the club, for them to get compensation, they had to offer me a new contract by a certain date, and it had to be obviously more than what I was currently earning. So they didn't offer me a contract in time, basically. So I don't know if it was the 30th of May. It might have been the 1st of May. Anyway, whatever it was, they didn't offer me a contract in time. And so I basically was entitled to leave on a free. And in the end, town didn't offer me a contract. So that's incredible. Um, I didn't. So I did leave on a free. So, what, what were your thoughts at the time, though? Would, were you interested in staying? Or bearing in mind we have been relegated, were you looking elsewhere? Were you interested in in moving on at the time? Um, I don't think we had been relegated, had we? Not yet, mate. No, you played us Sorry, uh, a couple of rounds. You yeah. played us uh, probably three or four seat, three or four games before. We, probably the game we got relegated, actually. Four-one uh, win against Palace. Yeah. yeah. The I um. I was happy at town. I think the the big thing for me was the uncertainty of not knowing. At that point, I didn't have any options to go anywhere. So 
I wasn't like, I wasn't being smart and clever to try and see my contract out there to move. It was literally, I was playing and I didn't have a contract. So, um, listen, I wouldn't change, now when I sit back and look on my career, I wouldn't change what's happened to me in the career path I took. But at the same time, if Town had offered me a contract, I'm pretty sure I'd have signed it. So, I was playing in the championship. I was playing every week. It, it wasn't like... It wasn't like nowadays I was going to go and sign 100 grand a week somewhere. It's like even moving, a bit more money moving down south, but it wasn't life-changing differences, do you know what I mean? So I think my football, I think I'd have made the decision to stay at town, at least for a, another season if I'd been offered a contract. Because uh, So Paul has asked, um, in terms of that, it was, it was widely rumoured that Palace had offered about a million, about a year before um for you before you you went there do you know if that was true i don't I know sometimes you I, might have been in i don't think there. it was i don't think it was back then honestly you never used to get told anything you never used to get the only thing i found out and that was years later and it's from an agent is that i think sheffield wednesday put a million pound in for me that was when danny wilson was manager and we'd i think the year before that we played him in the fa cup and got absolutely annihilated oh johnny Oster's goal yeah he chipped pressman didn't he we was there then as the youth team went on the minibus to watch that. But um the yeah, that's the only I only found that out years later. So I don't know if there's any I don't know if there's anything in the palace thing. I I, I don't think there was, else maybe it'd have been mentioned to me further down the line that when I went there on a free. So I don't know. Stuart Johnson is asking some good questions actually. So he's asked, who was the best personality in the dressing room while you're at the club? Um, different for different reasons, really. Um, Aidan was a character, Gally was a character, Mark Lever was probably the funniest man in the dressing room by a country mile. Um, but then you had personalities, you had Kingsley Black, who was just like sheer class, everything about him the way he dressed, the way he walked, the way he spoke, the fact he never swore on a football pitch. He just oozed class and his performances and some of the things he could do, especially from a dead ball, from flipping free kicks, was like outrageous. So for a young kid to look at someone who'd moved for a lot of money in his career, played for Forest, it, and he turns up, you're like, wow, that's 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 where you got to get to. They're the levels you got to reach if you're going to have a good career and play at the top level. So it, there's a lot of different grows. He was unbelievably professional. So different... Different players have different personalities, but it's a Mark Lever was probably well, he was by far the funniest. Um, but then everyone sort of contributed. Um, Lee Ashcroft was a proper character when he arrived. Um, then you had certain players that were quite quiet. So different, different people for different reasons, really. Yeah, that's fair. Gents, have you got anything to ask as well? I mean, I know it's not about town, but we're going to have to ask the question, Alex, just because, you know, it's another one that's massive in Danny's career. We're going to have to ask because I need to know if the Wikipedia entry is right about the hat-trick that you were due to go, because it was scored against Wolves, if I remember correctly, and you were due to go to Wolves literally in the days before that as well. Is that right? No, Nathaniel Klein was. That's it, sorry. So Nathaniel Klein was due to leave. Neil Warnock didn't want him to leave because he was in administration and was basically saying, um, 
not to go because it's not good for your career. But Neil Warnock really thought he could get more money for him in the end at the end of the season, not in the January transfer window. So Kalani ended up staying, which meant he could then play right back because we just sold Victor Moses to Wigan. So then there was a space. We played four three three, and there was basically then a space across the front three, and that was the reason I played up front that game. It's because Kalani stayed outside, so have played right back, and someone else would have played up front. And and what was it like playing in that first division playoff final as well at Millennium Stadium? That must have been incredible. Highlight of your career? Uh, yeah, one off. It was unbelievably hot, ridiculously hot. You know when you sort of speak about England playing in World Cups and that, and the conditions are ridiculously hot. That was. I always remember that day thinking, "Oh my god, I can't even talk. My mouth's like iron to the top of me within mouth." Um, but. The amount of fans, (laughs) yeah, the amount of fans and the amount of riding on the game, the way we'd reached the playoffs when we were in the bottom three at Christmas, the whole, it wasn't just about the day, it was about the the sort of three, four months building up to it. And then that was like the cherry on the cake. So an unbelievable day. Um, Yeah, that's for sure. And sort of one that you sort of, give back to your family as well. You know, they've supported you for years and years and years. And it's like driven your ear there and everywhere as a young kid. And then that was sort of a day for them as well, you know, to sort of, this is perhaps what it's all about. This is, this perhaps is worth putting all that petrol in the car as a young kid and sort of shipping them about. And these are the days that we always hope that he could probably achieve. So it was sort of, it was unbelievable for me, but it was also unbelievable for my family and friends and all that sort of stuff as well. We've got a few good questions on here, Alex, actually. Um, Mike Gray says, uh, did you ever have the option later in your career to return to town at all? At any point? No, I'll let you into a secret. Not as a player, but I, um, when Ian Holloway was appointed manager, I rang Fenty and asked for an interview. I wanted to come back and fancy my chances as managing. So um, it couldn't have gone worse, Danny. I'll give you that. Well, listen, I, listen. I don't wish anything bad on town because it's still a massive part of. Even though I'm not there, it's still a massive part of my life, and I massively owe Coppers and Bucko and the club everything. Because if you don't ever get a start in your career, you, you, it never takes off. You never get going. So I'm always thankful for town, but. When he got the job, my alarm bells for me were ringing because he had no experience of League Two. And what does he know about League Two players and personnel that I'd come off the back of playing in it, um, getting promoted out of it with MK Dons, coaching in it for 18 months at Exeter, coaching in it at Macclesfield before it went pop. And I felt that I could have done a better job. <laughs> You absolutely could have done that. Yeah, yeah, there's no two ways about two ways about that. No. Yeah. Well, I think my mum could have done in fairness. I think my mum could have done a better job. Never say never. Never say never. It was Yeah, yeah. I can understand the lack of experience. And you talk about sort of maybe Neil Warnock having the, the man management style which makes you run through a brick wall. I was hoping that from him, in terms yeah. of he would have that ability to do that and he's got enough people it he knows in the game. But from the reports that we have afterwards, that it's very much the emperor's new clothes we it was an entirely different setup to what we were being told about in mm. in his many interviews um 
<laughs> which um, at least he got some coverage out of it, eh? Because um, that seems to be. But I think that's a th- I think that's a sad thing. It's probably more so for you guys because you're you're fans. But I also feel it is. I feel it. Whatever club you've been affiliated to as a player, you've got a. Like now, I'm working back at Southampton, and I see Southampton as my club. I see, you know, Crystal Palace to a certain extent as my club. I see Grimsby as my club because you spend so, such a long time there. You you care about it. You keep an eye on it. You you're genuinely interested in it, even from a distance. And I think, I think that like that even hurt me, but it must have hurt you guys. You you pay you pay money to go and watch it, and you obviously do the things you're doing like on here. But I think that appointment felt non-Grimsby. It felt um, clutching at straws. It felt... Um, I'm only going off the reports you read. A, a manager buying onto the board. What, is he going to sack himself? It was always a little bit yeah. like, oh, the alarm bell's here. Like, what's... Which direction is this going in? And I think the... I think Grimsby's always been a club which is humble. The, the fans are working class. The fans are honest. The fans are hard work and they earn the money to pay for the ticket to go and follow town all over the country. And Ian Holloway going to Grimsby turned it into a show. Grimsby's not a show. Grimsby's not a... That turned it into a, a bit of a circus. And Grimsby's never been that. Grimsby's always been... Honest, start working. This, this is what we do. We play good football and blah blah. And it just seemed about because he'd not had jobs for a, a couple of seasons before that. That appointment for me seemed a little bit like trying to put himself back on the map as opposed to sorting Grimsby Town out. But that's only my opinion. Yeah, but that's that's sort of how I saw that. Did you uh, did you go watch the uh, Palace Grimsby game in the FA Cup? No, no. I was actually asked, but I think I can't remember. I think I was working. Yeah, so I didn't. I couldn't do it. You'd have, you'd have enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> Hanging on for dear life. Well, we would have been. <laughs> yeah. From about 40 seconds onwards. Uh, <laughs> our first version of VR. Were there any good other good questions, Bruce, before we wrap it up and let Danny have some lunch? Sorry, I just had to move the mouse to unmute then. That's all right. Um, yeah, there was... Um... Uh, Les says, Les Breaching says, um, although you went on to play at a higher level, I think you've partly sort of answered this sort of question already. Does that night at Anfield still rate as your favourite mem- ever memory during your time in football? I mean, obviously you've got quite a few, haven't you? But it, it must be right up there. Yeah, I think again, it's sometimes till you till you retire, you don't appreciate what you've achieved. To do that with Grimsby Town was an unbelievable achievement because again, the, with the players and the personnel we spoke who played in that game, like you're almost we almost shouldn't be on the same pitch as them international superstars and to beat them at their place was was unbelievable so it isn't the best it is one of the best it was definitely probably one of the best memories of town although being at town for as long as I was and playing under 150 odd games or whatever it was was still a a big positive for me so it doesn't necessarily have to be a game but that was one that Again, you work, you work, or aspire to be a footballer all your life. To play at Anfield in itself is a big thing, but to then beat them and see the town fans 
flipping, bouncing up and down. And the last few minutes having beaten was like unbelievable. So you're almost giving back, giving back again to the fans. Do you know what I mean? That was that was sort of a massive memory. But I've I've been fortunate, as you mentioned, to get. Um, I've been promoted out of every league in England, either as a coach or a player. I've scored the hat trick. I've played at Millennium Stadium. I've had some good cup scalps over the years. So I've been fortunate enough to to have some good nights. But that one's definitely my connection to Grimsby Town. That was definitely one of the, the biggest, if not the best. Sounds like I, a good point to finish, Alex, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Danny, thank you so much for coming. Thank you to everyone as well for sort of sort of sending your questions. It's been a real pleasure um to have you on and and, and hope to see you back around. I guess if you're you're still South Lincolnshire way, um things are things are getting brighter at least up on this little part of the coast. Yeah, I think it's Listen, it's always, whatever league you're in, it's always nice to be fighting at the top end of it than fighting down the bottom end of it. But then you perhaps argue that if you're in the championship and you're surviving every year, then town fans are happy. But it's nice to drive home, I'm guessing, on a Saturday night and town of one for you guys that follow them all over the country. And I think even, listen, I'm often on the road on a Saturday night going to and from games and often see town fans at service stations on the way back from wherever. But it's... Uh, it's nice for me to see how strong town are still supported, even from a distance from where I am and, and the amount of black and white shirts you see all over the UK at different times. So, no, I, I wish the club had listen, every success going forward, definitely. And like you said there, Bruce, never say never. You just don't know what's around the corner. But um, I certainly won't be buying the club, but um, you never know. I might work for it one day. Well, you can always come down when we play Eastley. Can't well, be that far. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's always that, mate. There was that. I might just stick an old black and white shirt on with my name on the back and stand in the way and and sing uh, We Piss on Your Fish. Why not? Absolutely. Is there anyone from Southampton we need to keep an eye on from where you're working at the moment? Is there anyone that we need to be grabbing for loans? Uh, I think there will be. Listen, we've got, a, we've, got, um, we've got a good young keeper at the minute, but I don't know. Listen, Mac is still there and he's still... Yeah, he's not probably a as old as, He's probably um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I do speak to I do speak to personnel from Grimsby to sort of see what's available. So you just never know. Good stuff. Pleasure, uh, Ian. I'm glad that you didn't get caught halfway through. <laughs> no, no, uh, no. Final warning sent heading no, your not, way. Oh yeah, I've turned my emails off. So we'll find out when I open them up again. <laughs> <laughs> You've not got the sack, Ian. Listen, it's yeah. well worth that. Well worth that hour and two minutes anyway. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Bruce, thank you very much as well, mate. Speak to you soon. Cheers, gents. Thank you. All the best. Thanks, Danny. Cheers, Joe.